Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast from the Australian Men's Shed Association, shoulder to shoulder, virtually. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 2 of The Shed Wireless. Coming up in this episode, he is Australia's favourite gardener, a thinker, a big believer in shedding, and he sports the finest beard this side of the North Pole. Costa Georgiadis is our special guest. Our shed in the spotlight is Crystal Brook, South Australia, a bustling combination of yesterday and tomorrow in a gorgeous corner of the world. And meet the former MP turned shedder who, wait for it, might just let his mates loose on his Rolls Royce. We're talking bad habits. Who had a hit with a song by that name in the year of 1981? Place your bets, ladies and gentlemen. I'll put it to my co-host and see if he can remember in a moment. Rip Woodchip reckons he's broken a few bad habits over the years. And Stuart Torrance talks about his long-term relationship, which is quite complex, with the cigarettes. One or two of you might be able to relate. Plus, take a deep breath and relax because... We're going to ask the doctor about the prostate today. So you might want to finish your lunch in the next few minutes before we get onto that topic. All that and a whole lot more ahead in this episode of The Shed Wireless. Hello, I'm Aaron Carney and we are joined by the chairman of the Australian Men's Shed Association, Paul Sladden. Hello, sir. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. Who had a hit with bad habits? Uh, that would be Billy Fields, I believe. A bit before my time, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> well, no, no, not true. I can remember listening to ABC Radio growing up. We were an ABC Radio family, and didn't they love Billy Field on the playlist of ABC circa 1981? <laughs> so, I, I did have a fair bit of exposure to him, but I was only a primary school boy at the time. Did he have any other hits? Um... I think there was one before Bad Habits, but I can't recall See, at the moment. I, I might research that and have it by the time we close the door on this episode. So we'll, we'll come back to that. I do need to ask you on a far more serious note, and we've got some amazing correspondence to share on this in a moment, but how is life in COVID crippled Victoria right now? You're not in the thick of it, but you're getting the shock waves, aren't you? Uh, we certainly are. And I think last time we uh, we, we spoke, yeah, the, the rumours were going around that maybe restrictions would extend into regional Victoria. And uh, that's certainly what's happening uh, as of later this week. So Melbourne's gone into stage four and the rest of Victoria will go into stage three. Unfortunately, that, that's going to cause extra anxiety. There is clearly a sense of fatigue permeating throughout the communities. So it's a real shame. So, um, But everybody's got to play their part. I really can't understand why we have some people out there wanting to flout the rules. It's just plain selfishness more than anything else. And obviously it's having an effect on everybody in Victoria. And as we hear from um, our federal counterparts, the economy the Australian economy is going to take a big hit as a result of this Victorian lockdown. But I really feel for those sheds who are having to go back into uh, lockdown. But we all survived the first phase of lockdown, so I'm sure we can rely on our sheds to continue their welfare checks with their members. And uh, I just hope everybody stays safe and, uh, and try and keep sane out there as well. 
Yeah, well, again, if you are a Shed Wireless listener and you are aware of some mates who are going back into isolation, we exist for a bit of company to try and recreate some of the things that you get out of the shed for when you are in isolation. So please tip them into this resource. Not that we're going to solve all the problems, but we can hopefully give a sense of the shed even for those who are locked down. Just practically, obviously, everybody in Melbourne and Mitchell, all the sheds would be closed there, Paul. But does it also mean shed closures across regional Victoria? It will. It will. As of uh, Thursday of this week, it will mean that uh, sheds in regional Victoria will have to close as well. And I'd just like to uh, support what you just said. Shedders got the shed online that you can access. Please feel free to call the staff at the AMSA office for support and suggestions on uh, on how to work during these times uh, with your shed. And of course, yeah, the shed wireless. You've got all of series one that you can go back and revisit. And of course, we've got the, the second series now. So please utilise those avenues of support. Indeed. And just as you're endorsing my comments, I've got an endorsement for yours here as well that has come into the mailbag from Tom. Please write to us anytime on any subject. We really appreciate your correspondence. It's actually quite a thrill to hear from you wherever you are. The email address is theshedwireless at mensshed.net. This needs no further setup. Let me just share it for you. It says, and I quote from the email, Hi, just found out about the wireless today and listened to a couple of episodes, including number one, when you interviewed a COVID survivor, Colin Crockford. I am 73. I think he turned 74 this week, our correspondent. So happy birthday to you, Tom. I'm 73, 74 next week, and I belong to the Waverley Shed in Sydney's eastern suburbs. I'm also a survivor. I spent 19 days in St. Vincent's Hospital, including five days on a ventilator, 14 days altogether under sedation and in an induced coma. I've been interviewed on national radio, appeared on page one of the Sydney Morning Herald. The Waverley Shed has reopened, but very restricted opening, subject to the maximum numbers allowed by social distancing and the four square metre rule. So attendance is by reserving space, which is limited to 10 per day. I'm the vice president of that shed, which is open three days a week. On the other days, I help run a men's cave in a retirement village slash nursing home in Vaucluse. This helps the men in the village who are outnumbered by women something like six to one and never get much input into any conversation. This cave is more a coffee club, even though the village management have provided a fantastic space and a small number of tools. We just have to be careful in recognising the limitations of the aged. I hope the issues raised in my previous interviews will assist the informing of others in the movement about how dangerous this illness is, particularly as I understand there is a huge amount of grumbling about the restrictions. Thank you for your correspondence, Tom Wolfe. A couple of things about that, Paul. One, so glad that Tom came through it. Two, he articulates the stakes with this damn thing, how definitely close we all are to it getting away from us and doing enormous damage. And thirdly, yeah, we are all grumbling because it ain't fun, but it is necessary. Of course it's necessary. And look, those rules that each of the respective states have got are there for a reason. And um, if people could please just follow them, as we've just heard from Tom, it is real. At the moment here in Victoria, 
masks are compulsory now uh, if you're going outside your house. I notice in New South Wales it's strongly recommended. Uh, people complaining about wearing masks, but I'm sure everybody's uh, heard the saying that um, wearing a mask is going to be a hell of a lot better than uh, wearing a, uh, a ventilator, as Tom just pointed out. So please adhere to those rules out there. I know that our shedders are doing that and they're they are taking the necessary precautions, so please keep that up. Have you seen the meme that's getting around on the internet likening the mask to a pair of pants or a pair of jeans? Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that one. No. Right. People say, how do masks work? Do masks even work? Bear with me here. It says, imagine you're standing at a urinal and the bloke next to you has no pants on, and you have no pants on. If he swings around and sprays you, you're going to take the full spray, right? <laughs> Imagine then that you're standing at the urinal, he has no pants on, but you have some pants on, then you're going to take a little bit less than you might have in the original <laughs> circumstance. But if he has pants on and you have pants on, it's probably only going to wind up on him, not at you at all. So that's a helpful way of imagining the good that the masks are doing. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I, I haven't seen that. No. We might even get that up on the shed online so everyone can have a look at that and share it around. We'll be back. Back a little later on to pull the door closed, but let's uh, head off on our episode covering everything from bad habits to gardening with Costa and even everything you ever wanted to know and a few things you didn't want to know about the prostate. Staying strong. Staying sharp. And staying healthy. With the Shed Wireless. I was talking to a friend the other day and out of the blue, she says to me, I saw a photograph of you the other day and biting your nails is a terrible habit. I said, true, it is, but I have plenty of worse ones that you can't see in a photo. But it got us to thinking about habits, how they form, how to break them, how to take back control. Stuart Torrance is AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer. Hello, sir. How are we, Aaron? I am very well, thank you. Have you got any bad habits that you're prepared to admit to? I've got plenty of bad habits, Aaron, um, but I, I would like to um, just uh, go back to your friend who <laughs> looked at your picture and picked out the worst. You know, <laughs> yeah. she has a bad habit of looking for the worst in things. So talking personally about bad habits, um, I, in my past, have had numerous and I probably still have plenty, uh, but the, the one that sort of comes to mind was cigarettes. Uh, I smoked from the age of 12 through to, well, I think it was 40, 46. And, um, yeah, it's a, it, it was a nasty habit and a very difficult one to break. Can you remember your first cigarette? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> absolutely so clear. Um, I uh, was coming home from school waiting for the bus and one of the uh, sixth formers was um, standing there puffing on a cigarette and my friend and I um, decided to hit him up for one and he said, you don't smoke and I said, yes, I do and he gave me one. He says, I bet you can't draw back and, mate, I drew back. <laughs> I held it and I, 
I was a determined little sod. <laughs> I feel like a broader theme is already emerging that we need to channel our strengths for good, not for evil. <laughs> but do you think you were hooked from that first drag? I, I think I became determined to make it something that I could do. Um, I, I was brought up in a very, um, I suppose, strict, um, clean-cut uh, family. And, you know, as, as kids do, they they want to break loose. They want to find their own identity. And I, I saw that as, you know, something different that none of my family do. Three of my other brothers were, were smoking. And, um, yeah, I wasn't as individual as I thought I was. But, unfortunately, by the time I was probably 13, 14, um, yeah, I was hooked. And um, writing notes to the uh, local paper shop uh, from mum and dad, please give Stuart a pack of the cigarettes and handing over my money and uh, wasted it ever since. Given that that was such a bad habit, that it got entrenched at such a young age and that you did it for so very long, what was the breaking that habit process like? It was horrendous. Um, I tried... One one of my biggest things that I uh, was fearful of was emphysema. I've seen so many people being unable to to breathe and catch a breath. Um, I've had friends with um, asbestosis and uh, and the like, and listening and hearing them and watching them uh, trying to grasp grasp for air made me fearful. So. I, I loved cigarettes. I, I loved smoking, um, but I didn't want that negative side. So I determined to try anything and everything. So I went to hypnosis. I had um, injections. I had acupuncture. Um, I tried several uh, medications that uh, did all sorts of weird and wonderful things to me. I tried a, a spray that you sprayed on your tongue and it made cigarettes taste absolutely foul unless you had six in a row. I, I found once once you'd reached the sixth one, the taste had gone. <laughs> if you make it idiot-proof, we'll build a better idiot. <laughs> I've got my hand raised. <laughs> <laughs> in 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 that regard, I I, I just couldn't see any uh, any way out, and um, I went to see my doctor, and um, initially they gave me um, Zyban, uh, which was a new drug on the market, and um, because I'd spent so much and so long trying to stop uh, in in the past, um, I thought you know this is one hundred and fifty bucks. I'm I'm only going to spend fifty. So I, I spent my $50 and only got one of the three segments uh, of the thing. And I thought this was amazing. I was walking out onto the back veranda of my house and going, what the heck did I come out here for? Oh, what a lovely night. And I'd sit in the car and I'd go, there's something I normally do, but I don't know what it is. And it literally just blacked out the triggers that brought about smoking. And um, I thought that was fantastic, so I went and got went to get the other two uh, segments uh, to continue. And by that time, it had been put on the national health, and there was no Zyban in Australia anywhere. So I started halving my tablets, quartering my tablets, until I had none, and they still hadn't come into Australia. And um, subsequently, about two months later, 
I uh, started again. But that was the longest I'd stopped smoking for. And I thought, that's fantastic. So as soon as they came into Australia, I tried it again, but the effect had seemed to have worn off. So I, I continued smoking, and a few years later, I uh, uh, end up, ended up in financial trouble and couldn't literally afford cigarettes. So back to the doctor, and he gave me a drug called Champex, which um, on the side of the box, it says may cause depression. It didn't cause depression. It opened a big black hole that I couldn't climb out of. Mm. And... Um, I wasn't uh, suicidal, I was homicidal. I was going to take out my whole family. Fortunately for me, my wife saw it and sent me off to the uh, doctor again for an annual checkup I had never had before. Um, but uh, she teed him up and they got me off the drug and put me onto something else to put me back to normal. And three years later, I, uh, I um, stopped taking all medications uh, and was was back to my old self, thank goodness. But uh, it was actually a book that stops me smoking. And the book literally said, when you stop smoking, you're going to feel certain things. You're going to have um, certain processes as your body denies itself of nicotine. And uh, it was a very interesting uh, book because uh, the whole purpose of the book is you're not allowed to stop smoking until you've finished reading the book. And that basically takes away your excuse for not reading the book. And at the end of the book, I, I went, that's it. I, I've just got to go cold turkey. And um, and that was, oh, I think, nine years ago, um, come this November. And um, it's just changed the way I think about cigarettes. I still love them. I'll, I'll still, you know, I'll stand next door to somebody puffing away and it doesn't worry me one iota, but uh, I don't desire one myself. And when I do, I just say to myself, what good will that cigarette do me? And by the time I've finished that sentence, the feeling uh, and the need has gone. Fascinating story on a number of fronts. I'm reminded of a fellow that I knew who went to Vietnam and became effectively a chain smoker. And when he stopped, he said, there virtually hasn't been a minute since he put down that line. And I, I don't know, might be 20, I've known him 25 years, maybe more, and he's never smoked in that time. Hmm. And he said, every single second, he feels like lighting up. Other people you talk to uh, stop smoking and the very thought of it makes them nauseous ever doing it again. Mm. I raise those two points and revisit your complex journey to say that there is no magic formula for breaking habits. In fact, there isn't even an experience of breaking a habit. There's only your experience of breaking the habit, right? Yeah. Well, they, they say it takes 14 days to start a habit, therefore 14 days to, to stop a habit. The book was basically telling me for, for three weeks, I, I would probably be in a bad mood. And, and I was. <laughs> <laughs> the only other time uh, that uh, I tried um, going cold turkey, my wife actually gave me a cigarette saying, for goodness sake, have one. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> this time, uh, I looked at my mood and I, I said, well, hang on. What do non-smokers do when they get stressed? 
do they light up? No, they deal with whatever it is. So I was making excuses for my uh, smoking. Um, you know, it helps me work. It helps me concentrate. It uh, it reduces my stress. Um, it, it stops me overeating. You know, if I stop smoking, I'm going to be ballooning out. I'm going to be fat and ugly. Rah, rah, rah. Well, I'm still ugly, but, you know, I'm, I haven't overeaten. The, the habit's definitely being broken, but it did take a good three uh, to four weeks per what the book was telling me. It was a fascinating journey. So there are habits other than smoking, but if we sift away your experience and look for a couple of nuggets that we can take from it, what would they be to you? Whether it be me chewing my nails or somebody else who can't stop binge watching television or there are any number of bad habits that can happen they can even be bad habit of nagging that sort of thing what given your experience as the men's health project officer and as somebody who has battled and beaten smoking what nugget of truth can we take from your experience number one i'd say identify the habit own it own it yeah take it uh, and say this is what i would like to change and identifying a habit uh, whether it be good bad or indifferent is, is neither here nor there it's it's if you want to change it if you want to better yourself if you want to kick it up a notch and uh, improve yourself you identify what you need to change going forward and then basically dig your heels in, take that 14 days that they say to change a habit. So let's say overeating is a bad habit, and I've been through that. I determined that I wasn't going to eat until 9 o'clock every day, and I wasn't going to eat past 5.30 of an evening, and I was only going to have small plates rather than large plates. So I put in a series of changes and then focused on the changes rather than on the habit. Focus on the, on the thing that you want to change. That makes perfect sense. And the only thing I would add, and again, this is anecdote and life experience, not expertise that I'm expounding here, but one of the things that I've seen in my life as well, and you just talked about it then, is stop giving your bad habit magical properties. Yeah. You know, I mean, smoking doesn't stop you from overeating. Smoking isn't a reward for excellent work or a drink at the end of the day is not something that you need to settle your nerves. If you're doing it and it's not a bad habit and it's your choices, I'm not telling you not to drink. What I'm saying is we love to give the things that do bad things for us mystical, magical properties that justify our continuing use of them right yeah ab absolutely i don't know what um, magical properties that you would put on your finger now by <laughs> no but i'll tell you this it's it's interesting how you engage with it because <laughs> for example when i'm away on holiday i don't do it and i'll look down one day and go oh look at my lovely <laughs> and then the plane touches down back when you used to catch a plane on holidays but the plane touches down and by the time i'm through customs i'm back to the second knuckle again. <laughs> so 
Great to chat as always, mate. I don't know that we solved any bad habit problems, but a bit of lived experience and proof that engaging with it, tackling it and wrestling it to the ground is half the battle. Thanks for being with us as always. Excellent. Thanks, Aaron. You take care, mate. Stuart Torrance, AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. Our shed in the spotlight for this episode is Crystal Brook Men's Shed in the Port Pirie region of South Australia. Time for our shed in the spotlight. First up, show and tell. Let's showcase a project or product from our shed. What is keeping the shedders of Crystal Brook busy at the moment? We are joined by Christine Schoff. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Now, we're going to talk shortly about uh, the shed story more generally, but we can't really talk about your special projects without at least setting some context, because when we say shed, it's really sheds at the moment, isn't it? It certainly is. It started out just um, being at the Heritage Centre, and then um, over a period of time, we were offered another space to literally work out of so we could do projects. And in the meantime, we've been um, granted some money from the uh, drought funding, um, which enabled us to have a big shed built. So um, we're sort of between three places um, at the moment until we're well and truly into the big one. So how then, given those circumstances, and as I say, we'll unpack those further shortly with Rob, but given those circumstances, what projects are possible and what are you working on? So the guys who go to the Heritage Centre, um, they literally do maintenance around the Heritage Centre. It's a museum um, so and it's in the old bakery so it needs constant upkeeping um, they're guys who have a more of an interest in history and they're not really interested at the minute in coming up to um, the big shed where they're going to be doing you know metalwork projects and all that sort of thing then we've got a group of people who are interested in doing woodwork um, so there's um Patterns flying around at the moment for wooden toys. Um, we've got some people doing bee boxes and lots of them um, for a lo- local apiarist because, um, you know, there was a lot of bees um, burned out in the fires, so mm-hmm. um, they're all needing new homes. So then there's also another project with those bee boxes, uh, making little nucleus boxes for the queens. Um, so it's all just little tiny uh, hands-on uh, woodworking and it's, lit- it's not very hard. It's just literally making boxes. Then there's um, an old piano that was donated. So um, the metal frame that, that held the piano together, literally, is quite um, nice to look at. So um, someone's actually taken it as a garden ornament, uh, like a piece of sculpture. And the rest of the piano has been um, stripped right down to its basic frame and it's going to be the home of our new uh, mini, is it N-Gage Railway, um, which will just travel around um, different um, aspects of, of the base, like a model town and all that sort of thing will be built into it. And it will be um, portable because it's on wheels, so we could just move it around. Help me visualise that. We've got effectively the the frame, the outside of a piano right but is it an upright piano or a, like a grand yes it is no it's it's an upright and then how does a train set go inside that then uh, because it's literally been pulled apart so all that's left is the frame so it will be like a, a um, an old style um, desk and the train will just go around the desk whose idea was that what an interesting approach 
Um, one of our members, Tom, and another guy, Andrew, um, they're really into trains and, and that's, um, yeah, that's their baby. So I can't wait to see it actually because, you know, like I'm used to seeing bigger um, railways going around and around like at, at uh, model shows. So this, this is, N-Gage is quite small. So you get the, the same concept but um, in, in miniature. And in some way, it's going to have to be a little more vertical. So it's sort of up and down as opposed to long and flat, like a lot of the big model railway ecosystems that we see. And um, in actual fact, it will still remain uh, looking like a piano when it's finished, like the lid still closes. It can just be pushed to one side when we're not using it or, or showing tailing it. Yeah, it's, it's just going to be a miniature version of what you would normally see at a model train show but within the piano. That's fantastic. Because of the portability, you can take it to the local show, maybe take it to a school or a daycare centre or something. It's quite exciting. Absolutely, and it's not so heavy anymore. Um, We had to use a a chain um, to pull the frame out (laughs) and it was heavier than a cast iron bath. So, um, yeah, it took a few people to get it out and a bit of ingenuity, but like to hold the piano still together. So, yeah, it was was an awesome work when they finished it. Okay, I'm going to walk you back through the projects as you outline them. So let's go back to the bee boxes that you were talking about. Obviously, between droughts and bushfires, bees were decimated right across Australia. How did there come to be a relationship between the local beekeepers and the shed? Um, So one of our members is an apiarist and he's actually got a lot of our other members, including myself, interested in in bees and um, their life cycles and how they were um, decimated during the fires and the drought and all that sort of thing. So it's become a a project that we're all quite, like we're really interested in in seeing, you know, what the results of what we're doing and how that might increase the, the populations locally. And pardon my ignorance on this, but is it a case of build it and they will come? If you put these things out there, will the bees come to it or will you have to import bees into these hives in due course or the apiarists will have to? A bit of both, I believe. So I'm not the expert, Martin is, but from from my discussions with him and with Rob as well, um, you might like to hit Rob up with a couple of those tricky questions. Will do. (laughs) Yeah, um, my understanding is that it works both ways that they can be planted and that they can also attract. Now, the next item that you mentioned in reverse order was the toys and some cutouts as well. Walk us through those projects. So the wooden toys, we are proactively seeking patterns from old wooden toys. We've got some little rocking horses and um, little cars and that sort of thing. Um, But when the boys were all kids, uh, they quite often sit around talking about coffee time you know about all the things they used to have Um, but there isn't much in the way of patterns around Um, so um, we're seeking those Um, but also um, the toys that we do have planned we had a meeting a few weeks ago and we thought that we might be able to get some of the wood that's taken to the local uh, waste transfer station and, and have access to it. Um, so we're just negotiating with the council at the moment for the um, salvage rights to the reusable and recyclable things at the, at the waste um, station locally uh, because quite often we go out there and we look at something and we go, oh, we could use that, but we, we don't have the uh, legal right to take it. So um, we're hoping to get that soon. Um, so that will mean that we're actually recycling a lot of the things that we're doing. I guarantee, if not 
our feature shed from last episode, Raymond Terrace, where they are obsessed with toy making. Somebody listening right now will be able to hook you up with some excellent patterns, I am sure. So if you are that person, please drop us an email, theshedwireless at menshed.net, theshedwireless at menshed.net. And we will happily pass on a toy pattern to the Crystal Brook Men's Shed and we'll get some of those beautiful retro toys brought into the world in South Australia because I certainly know $3,000 worth of toys were sold in Raymond Terrace recently that were all made in the shed. (gasps) Oh, wow. So there is precedent out there. We'll be able to connect you on that. And just the last thing I wanted to ask you about going back through your order of projects is what is going on at the Heritage Centre. Can you give us some sense of what that looks like and what those men are busy doing on a weekly basis? I'm not sure if it's the only one, but I believe local, like in South Australia, it's the only underground bakery that's still open. It's not working. It's not um, literally not making bread anymore, but it's an un- literally an underground bakery under a, a shop, mm. and that's part of the museum and heritage centre. Um, so things like the stairs needed replacing. Um, so um, a whole new set of stairs were made. Things are refurbished or maintained, like the window frames, um, Oc Health and Safety um, for visitors um, is a constant thing, you know, like always updating. We have to have rails for elderly people, all that sort of thing. Yes. 1850s building styles and 2020 sensibilities. There's a bit of a gap sometimes, right? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And and really do the two go together. No, I know. As a a man who has at six foot three banged his head on every medieval castle in Europe, I I understand the concept. (laughs) So... It's it's a bit like painting the Harbour Bridge, is it? They get it finished and go back to the start and uh, and start repairing again, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. So they've, they've got old tractors and all different things there that they can also work on, but they sort of get left by the wayside by the time you do, you know, a couple of days a week, a few hours in the morning, um, you know, maintaining uh, and raking leaves and all those sorts of things that you have to do. Um, yeah, it's 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 busy for that, that few that go there. So You've painted a mental picture for us. I can just imagine walking through Crystal Brook and in one corner they're working in the bakery and another they're making the train set, in another they're cutting out the toys and then somebody's building an actual shed. So it's quite a utopian picture that you've painted for us, Christine. Thank you for being a part of Show and Tell on the Shed Wireless. Oh, it's been fabulous. Thank you. Shedder in the Spotlight. Let's meet and learn about the life of one of our shedders. Our shedder in the spotlight from Crystal Brook Men's Shed is Ivan Howard Henning. I don't know whether you get to keep the right honourable after you've retired from Parliament, but he is retired from Parliament. Hello, Ivan. Greetings from Crystal Brook. Thank you so much. Do you get to keep... Do you get some honourable title or something? And I don't mean at the men's shed on a Wednesday morning, I mean more generally. No, no, I don't. If I was a minister or I was a member of the upper house, I would have, but no. Backbenchers, no. And anyway, I wouldn't have used it anyway. I was just going to say, you'd just be Ivan uh, in this context anyway. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Please tell us, what is your story? My story? Look, I... I'm a, I'm a farmer from Crystal Brook, fourth generation on the same property. Interested in things old, but eventually I got started public life with, and it's already been mentioned by uh, Chris about the 
underground bakery here. Well, I got the, I was the first president that decided we'd try and save that because it was built, bought and was going to be levelled for a car park. Well, we didn't we didn't want it. So we formed the first National Trust, now called the Heritage Centre, and I got involved. But then, of course, I uh, got involved with local government. That got on the council for 10 years uh, and enjoyed that. And then the opportunity came to replace John Olson in, in state parliament, and I was there for 24 years, uh, representing Crystal Book Port Pirie in the first instance and finished my last 20 years in Barossa Valley, where I learnt some good habits and some bad ones. <laughs> I can imagine. You said you were a farmer who transitioned into that public life. That can be quite the transition. What appealed to you? Why did you enjoy it? Oh, look, the family has been involved with politics for generations, really, and uh, I was involved with the, the local political party as a, as, a, as, a, as a branch president. And it's just after a while you start, you start to climb the tree, knowingly or unknowingly, all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where you could you could put your name forward, which I did. My father was mm. one before me, but well, I didn't follow him. There was a ten year gap there because I didn't like dynasties. But uh, <laughs> no, well, I'm Crystal Brook through and through. Even though I spent a lot of time in Bryce, I have a lot of time for it. Home is Crystal Brook, and this men's shed is fantastic. It gives us all somewhere we can a, an excuse to get together, communicate together, teach each other, learn from each other. Uh, and me, I'm also into vintage cars. And I, I tend to get somebody to teach me how to spray paint properly because my second name is Runs. <laughs> so, but we've got some expertise in the town to come up there and, we, and teach us all how to spray paint, not just cars, anything. So we'll have the equipment there. You raise an interesting point, and it's one that comes up quite often here on the Shed Wireless. And in the broader community, there is often a perception that everybody inside the men's shed has come from a background of being some sort of master craftsman and they're all in there doing intricate work that is of a professional standard. But I imagine a farmer turned politician, while you might have been a bit of a bush mechanic, you probably couldn't describe yourself as a master craftsman when you turned up at the shed, could you? No, I don't have a ticket for anything. I'm a Master of everything, but, but a professional at none. Yes. <laughs> I'll have a go. I'm a great fixer-upper, uh, but uh, no, there's, we've got skills. I think everybody's got something to learn. Even one thing I was an expert in it was meet, running meetings and meeting procedure. Well, a lot of our fellows are still young enough to get the, to be in position to, to run meetings. Well, that's the sort of thing we, I can learn. Also, give them a bit of a – over cups of coffee and, and, and biscuits about the system and talking about the, the events of the day – uh, uh, what's happened in politics, what, what, what does this mean, where are we going, so they can then um, have, take more interest in, in, in public affairs. And that matters, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. You, it, it, otherwise you feel isolated, particularly at the moment with this uh, COVID-19 thing. You know, you just wonder why, what's happening in Victoria, why is it happening, and uh, how do we stop it from happening here in South Australia where we've been very, very lucky. When you finished public life, again, a theme that we often talk about is it isn't easy if you've been known by your job your whole life and then all of a sudden you retire and you're not known by that job anymore and you have that moment where you ask yourself, what am I without my job? 
Did you go through that process a little bit? Uh, c- certainly. People say to me all the time, do you miss Do you miss it? I say, no, I don't miss the politics at all, especially at the moment. <laughs> but I do miss the people that really do. But, uh, but you're never really out of it. Once you're in it, I get phone calls every day. I still say, look, I'm no longer the member, but, oh, but you helped us before and we want a bit of advice. So you don't ever... Uh, but there is a real culture shock when you stop. But that's why it's handy because I'm still current, I'm chairman of the Regional Development Board, Barossa. That's a great interim thing for me. But come December, I'll be out of that too, and, and then I'll be fully retired. I'll be. I will need the men's shed to keep sane. How did you come to the men's shed, and what does it offer to your life? Well, I've always been interested. Uh, before we've, we've had the men's shed here in Crystal Brooks, it began its infancy in, in 2017. But just to be clear, your time in Parliament ended before the shed began. Have I got my timeline right? That's right. But I was involved with men's sheds in the Brosser. There was 10 of them all started around the place, particularly in, in Tanunda and uh, New Ripa, the Lions Club one. Uh, and I had a fair bit to do with that, getting funds and watching them and going to their openings and, and going to their morning teas. Even that one at, uh, up at, uh, in the Adelaide Hills, brilliant. They, and they were making rocking horses. And I, that's when I got interested. But I was very pleased when Rob Beveridge and others decided we'd have one of these. And I thought, well, I'm there. And I got summons to the first meeting. On a very personal note, though, what does it bring to your world? Uh, activity and camaraderie with other people. Uh, similar retirees and people with skills and some of them have have basically been living lives of almost hermits at home and all of a sudden we invite them to come out and come down you're welcome and 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 we got a a, a, rob beverage's wife's a great cook and so is he and they put on morning teas cake scones and it's it's all of a sudden these guys feel as if there's somewhere to go somewhere to belong and they've got friends are you excited about the new location? Yeah, absolutely. We've got plenty of space because uh, we, we took over the old, the old hockey fields uh, thanks to the council and we've got plenty of room. We could probably put four sheds a size of this one to still have room. And we've got an oval which is electrically lit, you know, so we're really starting to uh, hit the ground running, really. One question I always like to ask people who have served in political life, you can't go into that line of work with a thin skin and some of the criticism is no doubt deserved some of it is clearly unfair what do you wish the average voter the average punter understood about political life that they don't given your 24 years well really 34 if you count council your 34 years in the business Aaron I couldn't agree with you more people Generally, think there's only there's two baddies: there's, there's used car salesmen and there's politicians. Absolutely, you can throw journalists in there as well, mate. I've been one and, of well, them. Journalists, that's true. But <laughs> seriously, people are going to give politicians are, are very much vilified. There are some that do the wrong thing, particularly claim money they are not entitled to. Which we're having that little scandal right here in South Australia today. Uh, but yeah, generally, um, my, all the politicians I knew on both sides of the fence are genuine. They work hard. And really, they do, they do earn the money that, that the government pays them. Uh, but, and, but it is very tough on, on, on families and tough on private life. You don't have a private life. Every weekend, you, you should be somewhere. So you're making a big sacrifice. So I think I would think that they really do deserve more respect than they get.
it's one thing for you to say, all right, I want to be the MP, but frankly, the entire family makes a sacrifice, don't they? Whether it's the kids in the schoolyard or your wife giving up every Sunday. You're dead right there. I'm glad Kay's not here. <laughs> she, she, she would certainly add to that. It's tough gear. Yeah, I might get her on in the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, she welcomes the men's shed too, something to get me out of the house and to do something. And Because I, I do work on cars anyway myself, but it's good to do it together. We've got... A couple of members here, retired farmers, and one's a John Deere freak, tractors, and first thing we'll do is we'll bring a tractor in and we'll pull this tractor down just for this guy who, who is, he's, he's lived with John Deere all his life, but not anymore. And he would just love to pull a John Deere apart and get it, and get it started again. And, he, and he's a guy that's got other problems, and uh, I'm sure that that would be good therapy for him and others. No question. What's your favourite car? Uh Rolls-Royce. <laughs> have you got one? Yes, I have. 1981 Silver Spirit. It's, it's a beautiful car. It, the car was, was owned by uh, the Bonds in Western Australia. You know, the... Uh, As in Alan Bond? Alan, Alan Bond's wife was the first owner of this car, and they used it to ferry the, the VIPs from Perth down to Fremantle. And there's pictures of it sitting on... And it's painted the exactly same colour as the boat. So it's unique in its colour, British racing green. Uh, and, uh, yeah... But yes, it's a nice car. Is that the one that but needs the paint job? No, it's beautifully done. The paint it could do with a bit of a touch on the engine, <laughs> but I don't think the men should be touching that because it's a bit too involved. But, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. You, you don't want to be known as runs if you've got a Rolls Royce, well, my that's friend. Right. That's exactly right. But the, the <laughs> trouble is, if you take it to a mechanic, mate, they start at about twenty thousand. Oh. So that's why you, you avoid that. Uh, but no, the nice car. But eventually, I'll probably bring it into the shed and. Uh, We'll probably do a few minor jobs on it, whatever. Depends on the expertise that we've got. Um, and Martin Stevens, he, he's another member who's, who's going to bring it. He's got a Bedford truck he wants to bring in. So the trouble is we haven't got the space to be able to be doing too many of these bigger jobs. So that's, that'll be our next project is to build another shed so we can have some of these things. But we don't want to crowd the woodworkers out by having these old vehicles in there. No, but I can see a vision of the future where we come down and visit the Heritage Centre and the bakery and then come to the undercover Bedford Truck and Silver Spirit Rolls-Royce Exhibition Centre. <laughs> well, absolutely right. I've got 30-year-old cars, so there's more than that. If you want, I've got T-model Fords, Chevs, you name it, I've got it. And I've got a Packard too, which is very nice, the 1938 Packard. So that's wow. a straight, straight eight. You need to prioritise the order that you let the boys loose on those various cars, I think. One thing about our men's shed is we do a community service around here. We've got a lot of older people who live on their own and they need something. We've done We've done fix up people's driveways, we chop wood. These things we can do for the community because there's nobody else there to do it for them. And so we are also, I believe, a community assistance package where it's very satisfying for older fellows like us to, to, be, to help people. And the gratitude you get is by the smile and the thanks and a cup of tea and a scone when you're finished. I've loved meeting you, Ivan. Congratulations on a life of service. And I look forward to seeing these projects unfold in the weeks, months and years ahead. Thanks for being our shedder in the spotlight. Thanks, Aaron. And you come to Crystal Brook. We'd like, like to see you. I cannot wait to uh, get interstate because... Yes, as you say, there are one or two restrictions at the moment. At my age, you've got to say, well, this is the last day, so you've got to do it all, because tomorrow may not be there. Amen to that. That's a good way to live. <laughs> Thank you, Ivan. Great to meet you. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you very much. Shed Story. 
Let's find out more about our shed in the spotlight. Between speaking to Christine and Ivan, we have a bit of a sense of the shed story. Interesting one that it is in Crystal Brook, but let's clarify it and perhaps get a window on where to next with Rob Beveridge. Hello, Rob. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. Nice to see you. We caught up at the conference not so long ago, but... It seems like a thousand years ago and a million miles away, given how the world's changed. Yeah, it's it's certainly changed uh, for for us. We were shut down for uh, about three months and uh, we've just got back into the the swing of things. But in the meantime, we were lucky enough to have our shed underway. We were sort of worried that the builders were going to be put out, but uh, luckily enough, they were able to keep working. So... By the time we were almost ready to come back, uh, we had a shed at lock-up stage. So uh, now we're we're doing the fit-out ourselves because uh, money was short on the uh, on the funding. So we our fundraising has gone to fitting out the shed, and we had a grant from uh, our local wind farm people, Pacific Hydro, and they give us about uh, six thousand nine hundred dollars towards all of our timber and that for our office kitchen, um, meeting room, etc. And our members, we have um, many and varied as Ivan, I think, has told you. Um, one of them is a, 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 was a builder, actually. It's Martin Brooks. And Martin's the guru. He's the genius. He is unbelievable. And uh, if you ever come here, you'll, you'll find out why. Um, he loaned us his workshop in the interim, and he's he had a full cabinet maker's business, and we went in there, and we stood there with our mouths open because Martin hadn't thrown away anything in twenty years, and it was just uh, yeah. it was knee high, knee high with rubbish. So over about, um, well, I reckon four weeks, we took out enough rubbish and burned it and got rid of it and clean the workshop up so we could use it and believe it or not Martin actually started he uh, he, he come back into the fold and he, he started actually redoing his doors and windows for his house that he built 20 years ago he's decided to finish them off so uh, we, we've got a happy man on our hands we're getting a bit of a picture of how the new shed has come together, but walk me through it. So first of all, there was some drought funding, so that got the shell of the building. Then you needed to get the location, which I'm hearing was an old hockey field, and now everything you've just described was about the internal fit-out. Have I got it right? You've got it right, yep. The The hockey field, it's seven and a half acres, believe it or not. We have room to move, and on it we have also started to create a community garden now, we built a, uh, a nice polycarbonate greenhouse, um, I think, early in the year. And we had a nice storm a couple of weeks later that took the polycarbonate greenhouse for a walk. Oh, dear. And, uh, yeah, we, we picked up pieces that were half a mile away. Were you able to rescue it and restore it? Not really. We have a, another plan underway now. We'll, we'll actually build a shade cloth shelter and put the greenhouses inside so that'll, that'll break the wind down and uh, it should work, but uh, we just seem to have uh, a spot where it's like a wind tunnel. It's like one of those tornado alleys in America where this just uh, 
the weather just take, takes this one, one, one track and, and we're right in the middle of it. Where does that leave the timeline for the new shed now? How long, given the internal fit-out that's still to happen and the COVID considerations, how long before you'll be cutting a ribbon on that place? Uh, I would say towards the end of the year now because we've had a few, uh, the COVID sort of held us up quite a bit and then there's a few uh, problems with um, uh, a few pl- pipes, plumbing pipes, and then trying to get someone with a ditch witch to dig us a trench. And, you know, one, one, one day you, you think we'll get this done today and then the bloke with the ditch witch doesn't roll up and then uh, all of a sudden he rolls up. So the other day we were actually able to uh, dig our trench for the water and to the mains and then uh, silly me put the shovel through the 40 mil plastic pipe yesterday so there's a job to finish off this afternoon for me Uh, it's easy done very easy done Uh, oh yeah can you give us a sense of the new building what's it actually going to contain it's 30 meters long 12 meters wide uh 3.6 high uh we have uh, the first bay each bay six meters wide uh the first bay is the uh, meeting room kitchen office Second bay is the toilet area, uh, recreation area. Uh, then the next three bays, they were designated uh, woodwork uh, restoration and welding. But because of a shortfall in the funding, we lost our roller door. So now we have one roller door with three areas. So we're going to do a bit of reconfiguring for a while. So it's going to take a, a little while to sort this out again, but... Uh, uh, it's mainly woodworking equipment. So one, one bay will be earmarked for welding, uh, metalwork, etc., And then the next two bays will be sort of woodwork and restoration. So it's, it's going to be a loose fit. But once we get the machinery set up, um, we should be well underway. So I think by Christmas this year, we should be, uh, we should be producing something. We still work out of Martin Brooks's shed and uh, we're still building the bee boxes down there. Brings to mind that I've got to have 100 done in the next four weeks. So uh, we've got a little bit of work to do. We'll come back to the shed in just a moment, but Christine said I should put this question to you. With the bee boxes, how does it work? If you build them, do the bees come, or do you build them and then you insert the bees from somewhere else, as it were? Pardon my ignorance. Yeah, that, that's all right. I, w- I was quite ignorant of the fact uh, how how bees work until uh, Tim Grosman approached us to build these boxes. And uh, just the boxes, they put the frames inside, and uh, then they insert a queen with her with her with her workers. And uh, this time of the year, now winter, is the small bee boxes called the nucleus, is where they put a, a queen and her her bees. And uh, they they look after the queen until it comes um, like spring, flowers start to uh, bloom and the bees start collecting pollen again. So it pretty much works like a nightclub. You just put a pretty girl in there and all the blokes turn up automatically. Is that right? That's it. That's it. <laughs> like, you know the old story, bees around the honeypot. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So uh, returning then to the shed, what mix of men do you have because you're interesting 
geographically, you have farmland there, you're adjacent to the Barossa, you're not far from the industrial areas as well. So what sort of mix of men do you have in the shed? Oh, my goodness, the backgrounds. Uh, starting, starting with our school teacher, Martin Stevens, who drives us nuts. Um, he's, he's a retired school teacher, of course. Uh, we have, oh, most of them are farmers. Are I'm they? just trying to th- think who else is actually. How many do you have? Oh, we started off with, I think we, we paid insurance for 10 on the first year through AMSA. And then the second year, 18, and I think now we're closing in on the 40 mark. For a population of what more broadly in Crystal Brook? Approximately 1,300 people. Yeah, that's a good percentage then. So we have uh, people come uh, from Gladstone, which is probably uh, 18 k's away. Uh, Red Hill, 20 k's away. We have people there. Uh, A couple of people have inquired from Port Perry. Uh, which is uh, 30Ks away. So people are willing to travel because it's, it, it is a ton of fun when we get in there and you just can't believe the smiles. That, that, that was um, something that always got me because one day I was in the um, in the shed building bee boxes and I watched all these gr- little groups of people and I just stood back and I thought, I'll just watch them for a few minutes and see what happens. And... Uh, I didn't have the staple. I, I stopped the staple gun so, so I could just hear. And there was little, the little groups, you know, there was jokes being told. There was stories being told. There was so much laughter. And it, it just, I, I thought to myself, this is what I wanted right from the start. This is what it was all about. I want these people to be happy. And when they all go, they've had a cup of tea and a, and a piece of cake or a biscuit. And they walk out and they're all smiling. If I can continue to do that, I think I've done my job. That is the lightning in the bottle that is a shed, and it sounds like Crystal Brook is a place that's had a solid history so far, but there are exciting times ahead, and I love some of the innovative projects, and obviously the shed itself is a is a big project. Congratulations on all that you've achieved down there, and thank you for being our shed in the spotlight for this episode. No worries, Aaron. It's a pleasure to talk to you, man, and I hope to catch up soon. Look forward to it. Rob Beveridge and the Crystal Brook Men's Shed. Would you like to put your shed in the spotlight? Just contact us via email, theshedwireless at mensshed.net, and we'll take care of the rest. You know you're an icon when you only need one name, and Costa the Gardener is undoubtedly an icon. Apparently, his passport says he's actually Costa Georgiadis, and he's actually a landscape architect and TV presenter, initially host of Costa's Gardening Odyssey and then Gardening Australia, but he's just Costa the Gardener to us, although he has moonlighted as a garden gnome, and we may well get to that. Welcome to the Shed Wireless, Costa. What a pleasure to be knocking around in the shed. Welcome to the shed. How's COVID Costa coping? Look, it's it's been actually busier than ever before because more and more things are online um, where I would normally be out in a particular part of the country, be it, you know, Cairns or Alice or Darwin or, or Dubbo or Bendigo or whatever on a given weekend. Now that those things have all gone online, I'm actually in multiple places all weekend. So, so it's great that, that people have adapted. It's great that technology has really 
lifted and 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 then, and is enabling people to to meet without the transport. So in in some ways, I think one of the big one of the big legacies of all of this will be the fact that there's been a lot of people travelling for a long time when technically they could have just done it online. And and finally, the the power of that online meeting place has come into its own. And and that's that's really positive for, for the environment, that's for sure. See, I'm interested that you have that reaction. I'm not surprised on the one level because that is the positive reaction and that's exactly what I expected from you. But on the other hand, you love people and you're very tactile and you love being in and amongst humanity and it does deny you the chance to do that, at least for reals. Oh, you're spot on. And and it's it, it's been a really interesting time on that front because you, you nailed it in the sense that, yes, I love people and I love being up front and up close and and there is there is a kind of almost an expectation when people see me, they just lunge and, and want to hug. And it's been an interesting process that I had to initiate and change straight away, which, because normally as someone leans, I lean and, and we meet, but I've actually had to physically take a step back because it's easy to forget and people are so used to seeing me and saying, hey, Costa, put their arm around me, giving a hug, a high five, taking a photo, whatever it is. And the only way I could do that was to actually sort of step back and sort of go, yeah, yeah, well, let's get a photo. We can take a photo from a distance. And, and, you know, in my position, I can't flaunt that sort of stuff because you're in a public light and, and it's not a good look. So in that sense, there is a part of me that has gone without something that's been a staple for a lot. Well, that, that is me. It's just a staple that feeds me. But I've kind of adapted and, and gone, well, for the reasons that we need to look after each other, I'll, I'll do this and um, we'll, get back to, we'll get back to hugging and, um, and putting our arms around each other sometime soon. I know you have a worm farm. I know you have a garden. Do you have an actual shed? Um, that's a good question. I... Look, I, I don't, I don't have a, a physical structure that people would, could could term a shed. So you know, your your auditor would come and go, no, there's no <laughs> shed, right? But he has all the ingredients of multiple sheds, but they're just not housed in a structure otherwise known as a shed. So I have, I have little, little compiles so a deconstructed shed that's what they're doing with food now that, that, that's yeah mate you, you took the word right out of my mouth because there's a deconstructed shed in the courtyard there's a deconstructed shed against the fence line with all the pots and things my garage is my shed and it's well put it this way there's there's not a lot of room in it for vehicles. (laughs) There are a lot of shedders across Australia right now who are nodding knowingly at that. You don't have exclusivity on that situation, I can assure you. Hey, is it true you're 56 years old? Is it true? Yeah. Rumour rumour would say that that's the... uh... That's the that's the target zone. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing to me. You look thirty two. What's your secret? Well, look, if you're going to sort of say those sorts of things, I'll I'll do an interview every day of every week of every year. <laughs> the Shedweiler is brought to you by Costa. Henceforth, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
all. I'll, I'll just be there every day. Well, the problem is I'm younger than you, but if I grew your beard, I'd look like Santa Claus. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, I suppose I'll probably, I'll feel 21 when I'm about 81 and I'll feel 50 when I'm about 100 and, and I'll feel 100 when I'm about 150. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those things, I suppose. I, I get so much positivity, energy and drive by engaging with people of all ages and particularly young people, children, because um, I, 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 see, I see that awe and excitement and I see the awe and excitement and energy that young people bring to elders as well. For me, when I can join the joy, the vision and the wide-eyed awesomeness of life of youth with the experience, perspective, and metronome-like beat of elders, that, that's my sweet zone because then you, you bring youth to the elders and you bring experience and knowledge to the youth and that's a fusion that will create the future for me. That, that, that's, that's where it's at when, when we can bring our elders and our kids together. And, and you know, the sheds, sheds are such a wonderful place and, and have traditionally been that place, you know, to go to Grandpa's shed and he fixes something or to, to go into the, from, from a, a, an elder's point of view, if it, if it wasn't Grandpa, it was, it was Grandma and, and that might have been, you know, repairing something as well. And that could have been clothes, it could have been something in the kitchen, it could and it still could have been out in the garden with grandma. But either way, that that, that the power of our elders is is for me the, the the biggest asset we have as a community. I know that you lost your dad not very long ago. Was he that for you? You're talking about an exchange of ideas and wisdom across generations was he that for you oh yeah you know it, it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it seems like five minutes ago that 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 he passed and yeah i miss him dearly but yeah he was that he 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 was so he was so ruthless with his he's he was so rigorous in terms of doing things and doing them well and and that that is just so embedded in me. Even though at the time it was one of the most frustrating things because he was so he was so precise about stuff and he wanted you to do it right, but he he didn't want to do it to to upset you, even though it did, <laughs> because because there were times where you just couldn't get it good enough. But you realise that 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 was the training ground. I mean. That, that's now how I look at things. And if I'm going to do something, I'll do it and do it right. I won't just bodgy it up. And, and, and that, I suppose, that ethos and that, that, that ethic, that, that do it once and do it right ethic is, is so embedded. And, and I see it when, when I go to sheds and I see the, the characters in there. And, you know, I've been to sheds where... They've been gifted lathes and, and incredible technology from one of their from one of their own who has passed, and and then they're using this technology to to perfectly drill a hole into 
the rim of a wheel so that that can go back onto an old billy cart and that billy cart lives and breathes again. But it's being done with the precision of a of an aeronautical engineer because of the stakes at hand with that not being drilled properly and popping off mid-flight and, and the plane falling from the sky. Like, that's that's something that I think ties right back to everything my dad taught me. We can do things I suppose the other thing that it taught me was it doesn't have to be 100%. And sometimes you've got to accept, well, 82% is good enough if the lesson's learnt, you know, and we've got to bring everyone along as well. That's especially true in gardening because plants literally have a life of their own and can't always be bent to your will as you might like. Exactly, And, and those lessons, those lessons that come through, through failure in gardening yes everyone has death on their hands it's really the they're the best lessons provided that you rebake the situation and you 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 look at it and say well why not oh well it died i've got a brown thumb no everyone's killed things why did it die it died because it was underneath the downpipe and it was in soaking wet ground or no it died because you planted it and then went away for three weeks and it basically had no water and once you got back it was all over so so there's always a reason and anyone you you speak to if you go and visit Sophie Thompson's garden over in Adelaide she'll tell you when you're googling and ooing and ahhing about the beauty of that plant there she will say yeah yeah but that's the fifth thing that's been there and I finally found the one that that, that, that is happy, you know, that salt bush is loving that spot, whereas I tried three other perennials and they didn't work. And, and I think we can apply that to, to, to so many things. And, and for me, winning and success are only what they are because of not winning and not having success. And, and they're as valuable, if not more valuable, in terms of creating a, a foundation and resilience and and a strength to discern and understand and explore and and drag out meaning, meaning in everything and even the smallest of things. There's there's meanings and lessons and and I, I, I'm not saying that to over dissect it, but the clues are there if we want to see them. But it's very easy with the wrong training to just go, I'm a victim. Oh no, I can't do. Oh no, I've always. I just can't. No, 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 no. Sorry, <laughs> that won't cut it, and it never ever could cut it because we can learn every day. The moment we think we know everything, I think that day put in the worm farm. I'm interested because clearly you have been a thinker and a philosopher, and gardens are particularly conducive to doing that. But you've been that all your life. But Without dwelling on the age thing, time marches on. You have been confronted with the mortality of your own dad quite recently as well. How is your attitude to life, aging, your time on the planet and how you spend it? How is an aging costa changing? Oh, well, I suppose it's really interesting because the more I do what I do, the more I love what I do and the more that's what I want because it's actually a need in that sense that 
I really love the engagement. I love the opportunity to share people's stories and then share how those stories fit into not just my take on the world, but but lots of different perspectives for, for, for people to take something from. So I, I feel like as time goes on, I want less things and more experiences. That That's what really I appreciate. You know, I, I love that every person we tell a story about through the work I do with Gardening Australia, each person I'm like always keen to just see their take on the world because we're all so different. And, you know, I don't have time to meet everyone on the planet, but I'll give it a shake in terms of those that I do meet, they've got a story and I, and I don't, I'm not into stereotypes because the moment you stereotype, there'll still be a grain of, of goodness and a grain of interest and a grain of, of kind of left of field story that's worth finding out. And if we, if we start stereotyping, well, then we may as well, we may as well just submit the story or the, or the, or the connection before we've even done it, you know, because it's like, oh, I'm going there because I know this guy, look at him, he's a bearded hippie, he's just going to be tripping on about those things or this person's a far-right conservative and they're not going to listen. You, you know, we can, we can get... And, and things are so polarised today. Okay. Everyone and everything is pushing towards you've got to be in a camp, you've got to be defined, you've got to be with this mob and if you're with this mob, that's, that's what you believe and all that and I, I just think, I'm the opposite. I, I want to break all that. The more I learn and the older I get and the more I see life, the more I just want to break it down, not carry baggage, put down those stereotypes and just enjoy people's stories because we haven't got anything more than that. I'm not taking anything with me. And I, 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 try, and, I try and just appreciate the exchange and the, and the, and the back the back road of someone's life because that's they're the nuggets that's the gold for me i'm kind of more excited about the future than ever because i i want to keep simplifying it even with the technology that we have and and all of the 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 expectations and whatever it just is just this capacity for renewal and if we keep renewing our outlook and 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 keep seeing the world with awe and, and the more I get into nature, the more I get into the wild part of life and and wilderness and the environment, you realise that's that's what we're here for to to be part of that, not not to keep fabricating this stuff. Like I need stuff. I'll be better when I have more stuff. No, I'll be better when I have more time and I see some, you know, a cluster of native bees on the parsley head that I left to die. And I didn't cut because I was anal retentive about, oh, that's dead. I should cut it. I left it there and it became home for these bees to come to my nature strip that I've never, ever seen before in my life. Like, that's a gift. You can't buy that. It doesn't matter whether you're Kerry Packer or Rupert Murdoch. You can't buy nature. You can only provide the space and allow it a chance to come in. And when it comes in, that's well, um, that, that's the pinnacle, I reckon, and that, I'm, I'm just getting 
more and more out of that whole connection back to nature as as days go by and kind of becoming becoming such a clearer focus do you ever get down um right, look if i stay and look at the news all the time that's <laughs> that's enough to to compost mm. you um but I, I was talking to some year 12, a group of year 12 girls who were the, the school's leaders for the year. They were the different house captains and sport captains and, you know, sustainability leaders and school captain and vice captain and, you know, all the, all the, all the different things. There was about 30 of them, um, which I think is kind of nice as well because it, that's, that's a really good proportion of of a school year if you if you can break it out and have have different leadership roles i'm speaking to them about life and outlook and the role as a leader and being in in the spotlight and stepping forward and stepping out of the pack not stepping back into the pack and i said them you know the thing that that can save you being dragged into these debates and it getting personal and bringing you down personally is that you have an issue, you have a position on something, but that position is not you. It's not, no one can criticise me. They can criticise my position on an issue, like I believe in verge gardens. And someone, someone can have a position and say, no, they don't believe it, but they can't. If, if I don't hang that in my heart, then any criticism is about the issue. And I think that's, that's the key thing, that the tactics of the day these days is all about attack the person. If we allow people to attack us, then they'll bring, they'll bring us down. But I don't allow that because you can attack the issue. You can attack that I'm saying something positive about the environment and you don't want to or you don't believe that but you can't attack me and I don't give you the right to and because of that then I look at these things with a with an external position and that don't don't get me wrong though that's not to say I'm not passionate about it because then you could say oh well you're just being distant and you're not committed no no no, no I'm committed I'm committed more than ever but I'm not committing my emotional petrol tank to that because that's when people can get a, get a hold of you and get you to react. And then when they get you to react, they grab hold of the emotional roller coaster and send you off on the way. And then you've got, no, you got absolutely no control over that roller coaster. It's going to go up and down or whatever. And no, 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 you, know, you, don't, you can't do that to me. You can do that to the issue. You can do that to that position or to that, that cause, but not to me. So for that reason... I don't let it get me down. I'll still fire up. I'll go mongrel about it. I'll take you on and have a good, a good solid debate. But you got no right sticking a dagger into my heart and trying to drain me. Like that, I'm sorry. So, so, you know, in that sense, I can look at the news and go, that's shite. I don't believe in that. We should not be destroying indigenous artifacts that are older than any part of history you, you know that, like you, you pick a topic i could rattle off a million of them right but i kind of have that that capacity to to remain passionate and f- 
feisty, but don't go trying to undermine me on a personal level because that's not you, you have no you got no right to do that. So that that's kind of why I'm up because I won't let things drag me down because if they drag me down, then that drags everyone down. So my takeaway from this conversation, I'm going to summarise down to. Costa says the key to happiness and calmness and fulfilment is don't let the poo stick to your fur. Is that, is that... Mate, that, that's exactly it. And, and, you know, someone was asking me recently, where did that incubate? And, mm. I, and, I, and I thought about it and I thought early days, it probably started at school when I started debating. Yeah, it's, it's completely arbitrary, right? You can argue that spoons are better than forks and you've got to die in that ditch, but it actually isn't a reflection on your own worldview. You get to wrestle the idea, not the person, right? That's, and that's exactly what I was trying to say in that. You know, here I was talking to these girls today and, and the other day and, and, and sort of saying, oh, you know, I, I, you're in this very valuable time in the final months of your school year to be in a crazy year it's been extreme you've had to go with without sort of things that you've been expecting for so long but that that builds a certain resilience and you'll remember that you know you 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 you'll you'll be benchmarked as this year and what was the benefits what were the good things that came out of that and and probably the other the other space that that built that resilience was refereeing sport refereeing rugby because you you are the focus, whatever which way, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. And you're going to be damned by either mm. team. So mm. having done that for 25, 30 years, you learn very early that you go out there and what you need to do, and I, and I suppose I look at it as exactly what you said, you need to just boil the skin and remain supple. Because if you become rigid, you just get blown over. You get knocked over. But when you're supple, then the, the, the shite doesn't stick. Just move on. And you go, yeah, yeah, I appreciate your opinion in the grandstand 100 metres away, but I'm standing right over the position where it happened. So with all due respect, you can hold your opinion, but this is what happened. And yeah. you just carry on. Extending your idea, the decision, right or wrong, is not you, is it? It's just the decision. <laughs> well, that, that, that's right. I'm, I'm making a decision. And one of the most interesting things that, and, and having done a lot of referee coaching, I'd have to explain this to the younger referees or the new referees, didn't matter whether they were younger or not. If you don't know, say you don't know. Yeah. It's the best and only answer because... There will always be a sniper out there willing to chop you down because you just made up some on-the-spot answer, like in terms of an answer to a question, mm. you know, in an interview or in, in a talk or somewhere. But on the field, you know, I could have just looked across to check that the backs were on side. And at that point, you've knocked it on. The player opposite you said he knocked it on. You don't say anything. I didn't see anything. I then say to the player officer, no, he didn't. And he knows that you did. And then all of a sudden, that will ripple throughout the rest of that team as that stupid ref, he's a... Mm. And, and then they go off their game 
and it turns into a into a quagmire and you've got to and then what happens is people get injured because they're tense and they get hurt and I and I could literally time the point to which an injury will happen because someone's tense but whereas you know when I had that situation happen I'd just go mate I didn't see it I was looking away it'll balance up in the wash play on you know and you just run with them and say yep it'll all be good and the player just settles they don't pollute the rest of the team and and it's the same, you know. I just see that in in everything that you just you got to be transparent because you you're then going to have to try and tell stories to make up for for not calling it as it was. And we can't know everything. I don't know everything. I don't know. I know barely in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> I'm learning every day, and 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 that's the best part. Talk about why am I positive? I'm positive because. I won't learn a tenth of the stuff that I'd love to know, but one tenth of that tenth is going to keep me busy for years and, <laughs> and, and just make every day a, a reason to jump out of bed and just go, oh, what's on? <laughs> and every time you say, I don't know, it's a chance to learn something new. Costa, I once read you in a magazine say you're looking forward to panning the river of your life because there'll be lots of gold chunks. Well, you've given us lots of gold chunks of wisdom today. I could talk to you forever. Thank you for joining us in the Shed Wireless and I hope you'll be able to join us physically in some sheds in the not too distant future because there's plenty of gardens attached to sheds these days as well. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and being so generous with your time and We'll see you on the telly really soon. Oh, Aaron, absolute treat to, to jump into the shed and, and a big call out to all the people out in the sheds and, and what they're doing. I, I, I see the value that you're bringing to communities around the country and um, that it brings a, a pure joy to my heart because the knowledge base and the sharing base that sheds represent is something that I'll, I'll support now and every day forever. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the chance to, uh, to chat to your teams. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rip Chip. Shadows Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? I'm just scrubbing up to going to town to see the tooth doctor for my annual checkup. You know, some people get a bit worried about visiting the old dentist, but not old Rip here. Never really had anything to worry about. I've had a pretty good run with the old pearly whites. I've always looked after them pretty well though. I brush them twice a day without fail. It's the first thing I do when I wake up. Well, it's the second thing I do after taking a leak, of course. And the last thing I do before I hit the hay of a night. Been doing it since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I have. I've always been a bit of a creature of habit like that, though. But unfortunately, some of my habits weren't so good for me. <laughs> wasn't long after I started brushing my teeth that I started on those bloody cancer sticks, too. And that was me for the next 30 or so years. Bloody idiot I was. The only good it did me was help give me this sexy voice you're listening to on the radio right now. Not sure if you class smoking as a bad habit or an addiction, though. Or both. There's a very fine line between the two, and when does one become the other? And then you throw a routine into the mix, and you hardly stand a bloody chance. I always tell me kids, though, 
You can't get addicted to nothing you've never tried before. And a bad habit is like a comfortable bed. Easy to get into, but hard to get out of. And a bit of the vice versa. If I knew then what I know is now, eh? Bad habits. We all have them, though. From smoking and drinking, even picking your nose and wiping it on the passenger seat. Or is that just me? Even my missus has them. She has this very nasty habit of remembering things and bringing them up at very inappropriate times. Wish she'd snap out of that one. I did manage to kick the smoking habit, though. Wasn't bloody easy, let me assure you. But you just have to have the right motivation to do it. And when my grandkids came along, well, that was enough for me. I wasn't going to sell myself short of seeing much of them growing up as possible. But I figured the best way to get rid of me bad habits was to replace them with new ones. Good ones, that is. Not new bad habits. That'd be just bloody stupid, wouldn't it? No. So I just started changing everything up. Flipped me whole routine on its head. Bite off more than you can chew and chew like buggery, I say. So instead of flicking the kettle on and heading outside for a quick puff first thing in the morning, I'd do something completely different that'd have the opposite effect or remind me of how much they'd already stuffed me about. Like go for a walk or drop down and do some push-ups. Usually after that I'd be too stuffed to have a smoke. But after a while, the benefits outweighed the craving and I started feeling the urge to do the good things instead of the bad. You know, they reckon it only takes 6 to 21 days to form a new habit and that's just what I did. So, as it turns out, you can teach an old dog new tricks and I'm all the better for it. I even keep a box of tissues in the car now. Horses for courses, though. We've all got our own way of doing stuff and what might work for some may not work for others. The thing is, it can be done. If only we could bottle some of that rip motivation and persistence, I'd share it with a lot of you. Anyway, fellas, cool. look at the time. It's 2.30. <laughs> Get it? I'm going to go. All right, fellas, catch you next week. See you guys. Bye. Got a question? Ask the doc. Professor Rob McLaughlin from AMSA Partners Healthy Mail. This is your opportunity to ask a real doctor a men's health question. It might be something you've always been curious about. It might be something you'd like to engage on with your doctor, but would like to have a few facts in your back pocket before you undertook that process. Well, we want to hear from you. And you're most welcome to go by a nickname, a false name, whatever. Your privacy will be fully respected, I promise. But send us a question that you would like answered to theshedwireless at menshed.net. Professor Rob McLaughlin, AM, is a director of Healthy Mail, formerly Andrology Australia. They are valued partners of the Australian Men's Shed Association. And he's our shed wireless doctor in the house. Hello, Rob, and welcome. Hey, Aaron, good day. How are you? Today we are going to boldly go where not every radio discussion would boldly go and we're going to tackle, for want of a better word, the prostate, the walnut, the jelly bean. Yes, prostate for dummies, prostate 101. I got one, you got one. What is it, Rob? Oh, well, the prostates are a little a gland about the size of a walnut that sits beneath the bladder and around the urethra, around the urinary tube. And... Uh, its, its role, it seems to be to produce fluid that nurtures and supports the sperm on their way. Uh, so it's part of the reproductive process. Uh, apart from uh, that role, it doesn't seem to have any other function. But uh, due to its location, it can certainly cause us men some concern 
when things go wrong with it. And things do go wrong, don't they? Yes, they, they do. And I think uh, as you get older, it's inevitable that the prostate grows. Uh, it always grows with men uh, as they age. And sometimes it grows to a degree where it can uh, uh, make uh, passing urine more difficult. Uh, it can cause some irritation uh, and some symptoms that go with uh, uh, like wanting to void, uh, having to uh, trouble stopping and starting, those sorts of things. So there's the, that's the benign growth that's inevitable with age. Some men have problems from it that, that upset them. Others, it just doesn't matter. Why does it grow? Well, it just grows as part of aging in men. It's, it's, its growth is driven by testosterone and it's inevitable. Like ears and nose hair, right? Yeah, that's right. Like, no, like ear hair, yeah. What's the point? I don't know. But, uh, but it does grow. And as I say, sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't matter. If it matters, it can, it can be uh, the subject of discussion with your doctor. Uh, those symptoms of uh, difficulty starting and stopping and uh, poor urinary flow, uh, there's a lot that can be done and explored about that now. Uh, back in you know, our father's day, they always used to have the old rebore operation, right, to make all the tube open up again. That's often not necessary now. There are uh, pills that can help the urinary flow and as long as the man's happy and the, the symptoms are well under control, that's all that might take. So that's benign prostate growth or enlargement, part of life. The one, I guess, that men fear most is the cancerous growth in the prostate. Uh, that's where uh, uh, an area uh, develops a, a cancer, uh, and that cancer uh, may be of a type that's quite aggressive. It can grow quickly. It can spread uh, beyond the prostate. It can spread into the pelvis or, or elsewhere. And that's, I think, you know, what's a, a great concern to many men. One of the things we know now about prostate cancer is they're not all the same in the way they behave. Some of them are quite uh, slowly growing, sort of uh, indolent. They kind of grumble along and may eventually actually cause no problem to the man. Uh, on the other hand, there are sorts of cancers that, as I say, can be very aggressive and get people in all sorts of strife at an early age. So uh, I'm sure your, your listeners will all have had experiences with different types and grades of prostate cancer and the discussions that flowed from that are, uh, you know, what should you do, if anything? Um, should you just watch and see what happens or should you operations or, or uh, radiation therapy, all sorts of options. It's a very big area. And I'm sure that many of your listeners will have issues that they want to raise there that have affected them or somebody they know. Um, I guess uh, one question we often think is, you know, who particularly should or, you know, ought to be aware of this possibility? And family history of prostate cancer is probably the most important thing to know about, about your own situation. So, you know, if your brother or uncle or dad have had it, then you are at an increased risk. And I think in terms of discussions you might have with your doctor, you, that, that needs to be something that, that you, you bear in mind. And the third thing uh, about the prostate that can go awry uh, is it can become inflamed. They get prostatitis or inflammation of the prostate, which can cause uh, uh, lower abdominal pain and symptoms and uh, fever and be, you know, be, be again, a very uh, you know, unpleasant uh, condition. Inflammation and enlargement aren't the same thing? No, they're not. And uh, I guess that's coming back to the cancer and the benign growth. They're not the same thing. People often get confused that uh, an enlarged prostate, which I said is inevitable as you get older, is like prostate cancer. They're independent things. They're different. And, you know, they, you need to think of them quite, quite separately. Same gland, different disease, different set of problems. And the same with prostatitis. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're what the prostate can do, you know, to make our life uh, 
you know, problematic. Uh, and uh, of course, I mentioned its location before um, at the base of the bladder around the around the, the, the urinary tube. So you can imagine that uh, surgery or other sorts of treatments you might give directly to the prostate could uh, be troubled by that location. It's a difficult area to get to. And also the little nerves that are part of the uh, erection mechanism travel through the outer layer of the prostate on their way to the penis. So again, you could imagine that if you have operations that cut through the external capsule of, of the prostate, uh, you know, you can cause erection problems. So uh, you'll see, you know, obviously in the, in the cancer area, lots of discussion about uh, treatment side effects, uh, such as urinary continence or erectile dysfunction as a consequence of treatment. So it's a very, very complicated area and really it has to be considered on a man-by-man -man basis. You know, a comment that somebody might make may have no relevance to your own situation because you're different. So these are very personalised, you know, uh, conversations you have with your doctor and your, your urologist who in fact will be doing, uh, uh, giving most of these consultations to you because we're, we're all, our situations are all a little bit different. Rob, everything you've talked about so far has been fairly anatomical. Just a word on the psychological. Mm. It's like this little thing came from Satan himself. First of all, you access it through the backside. Secondarily, if it plays up on you, it affects either your ability to pee or your ability to get a boner. Yes. Thirdly, if it goes badly wrong, it can take your life. And I don't know what sort of circles other people mix in, but in the circles I mix in, guys don't love sitting around talking about their doodles. Yeah, you know, you're right, Aaron. It's a pretty tedious little discussion to have. You know, it's, it, it seems the location uh, and the problems that flow from the, the diseases could really get into your head. And, uh, I, you know, that, that is certainly the case, uh, particularly for men with, uh, with prostate cancer and the concerns they have, not just about the disease that they have and what that might mean, uh, but also about their sexuality, their relationships, uh, will they will they or won't they uh, have trouble with urination or with erections after treatments. Uh, and, you know, in some of the men uh, who have the more aggressive forms that have gone beyond the prostate, uh, it's necessary to lower the testosterone level in their blood to a very low level to stop the tumour from growing. This is not a common situation, but it can certainly occur. And that has all the problems of a, basically a zero testosterone in terms of energy and muscle and, uh, and so on. So, you know, it, there can be a lot of really in-your-head type issues that arise from this. And uh, the doctor and the partner of the man uh, and the man himself have to try and work their way through these. You know, to come back, it's not always that. I mean, benign overgrowth, is not going to nearly cause that amount of issues. It's that un unfortunate minority that have the aggressive sorts of, of prostate cancer uh, that require those interventions. They're the ones who are particularly, I think, at risk of, of the psychological side effects uh, and, and trauma uh, that such a sensitive uh, topic will, will bring up. Absolutely. So we are here to help. We want to be a resource. We want to get quality answers to your genuine questions. So please send one to theshedwireless at menshed.net. Happy to put your name to it? Good. Good for you. If not, happy to give you anonymity as well. You have my word on that. 
But Rob, even though you have enormous expertise in this area, this is so specialized, this is so specific that there is an army of medical experts who know the intricacies of the various aspects of prostate treatment, prostate problems, and even prostate cancer, not to mention testing. And we're able to access these people in coming episodes if our questions demand it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Healthy Male has, uh, uh, as our friends and colleagues, uh, the A-team really of of uh, people across the country, uh, particularly in the urological area, and uh, I'd be very happy to 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 co-host uh, with you and uh, one of those uh, good folk about things like, for example, active surveillance of prostate cancer rather than active intervention. That's a very topical issue, or about the the meaning of a PSA blood test and the new MRI scanning that's involved. They're very specific issues. Uh, and I think we could probably reassure some people about uh, about what those tests do or don't mean. So absolutely, I'd love to, to bring along some uh, some colleagues to, to help really get to the nitty-gritty of the questions that you might uh, get on board. This thing can be a terrorist, and so we want to be alert but not alarmed, informed but not fearful. And so over coming episodes, we will continue to draw on the expertise of Rob, but we will also drill down, (laughs) pun intended, with some (laughs) other experts in this field. Professor Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Male, formerly Andrology Australia, our valued Australian Men's Shed Association partners. Thanks for being the doc that we ask. My pleasure always. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to malehealth.org.au. Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. We've pulled the door closed on this episode of The Shed Wireless, but before we go, we were talking about the man who had a hit with bad habits, Billy Field. And Paul, I've done my research and he did have another hit called You Weren't In Love With Me. Is that ringing any bells? Oh, vaguely, but maybe you could hum a few bars. Uh... <laughs> you won't be in love with me if I do. <laughs> um, it's like, I can't remember what the lead up bit, but the main chorus was, You Weren't In Love With Me. Oh, most definitely, yeah. Is it all coming back to you now? Uh, It's all coming back now, now that you've sung it for us. (laughs) Well, if one of our music groups wants to do better and send in, I'd welcome that. Just before we go, a couple more dispatches, including on Facebook, and the team at AMSA have asked me to remind everybody that we do have a good presence on Facebook. I know lots of you run excellent shed-based Facebook pages. So please look up the Men's Shed Association as well and loop us in. You can share the stuff that we're sharing, tip us into stuff that you're doing and we'll share it. But a couple of bits of correspondence. Dave at the very active Corn Men's Shed says, thanks Aaron and David. Isolation has helped feed the magpies. Missed the broadcast last week, but looking forward to more. Keep up the good work. So See, just a couple of lines, but it means a lot. That was in reference to an earlier episode with David and I. And Graham says, 
really think that the shed wireless is a way to get our message out there. I hope to use this to get to the guys shut in aged care homes here in WA. I'll keep you posted on how it progresses. And I believe it's not entirely clear from the correspondence, but I think Graham is involved in one of the community radio stations in the West as well. And we are heard on a number of community radio stations. And we're hoping there'll be a little bit more of that because we know that a lot of shedders listen to community radio. So thank you to everyone who is corresponding. You do it to the shed wireless at menshed.net. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Aaron. Stay safe and sane, everybody. Yeah, that is the challenge. Thank you to Costa Georgiadis, Crystal Brook Men's Shed, Professor Rob McLaughlin, Stuart Rip, Helen Clare, David Helmers, and the whole AMSA team. And of course, to you, Paul. We'll see you all next episode of The Shed Wireless. The Shed Wireless is available via some community radio stations. Contact your local station to find out when you can hear us. If they don't have the show, put them in touch and we'll help them out. You can also find The Shed Wireless in Apple iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Red Circle or just Google us. Wherever you find us, please subscribe so that each new episode gets delivered straight to you. Giving a rating or review helps others to find us more easily. But most of all, please share us with your mates even if they've never seen a shed, through email, newsletters, word of mouth, ring a mate and give him the tip. Maybe your wife might even like it. We love your email correspondence to theshedwireless at menshed.net or just head to the AMSA website, www.menshed.org and see what's going on with The Shed online while you're there. It's also a great way to connect with a range of resources, websites and national helplines, including Beyond Blue. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14 or Men's Line on 1300 99 78 99. Thanks for listening to The Shed Wireless, the wireless you'd listen to if you were in the shed.